All right. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to church. Welcome to church this morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, what a great church you are, Daybreak. Uh, I should follow up with what Glenn said in the sense of uh, I, I run to Renfrew. Now, Renfrew Baptist Church and Daybreak Community Church, we're networked together, which means we believe that we can do things better together. We share staff, we share resources together. I'm really excited about this new series we're in. We're talking about Ruth. And, and what we can learn from Ruth, as we look at the story, and we're going to spend like five weeks looking at this story, it's an amazing and powerful story. There's no real way to express what we're going to experience in the next few weeks, so you need to be here. It's going to feel like, at times, a really good movie. We're going to see tragedy in the story. Just like there's so many, tra- so much tragedy in the lives of people that we know. Sadly, we're going to look and experience two women who actually lost everything. See, God is a very present God, but not in the way that you would expect when we read Ruth. This is one of the two books in the Bible where you don't see any physical miracles from God. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no healing of the sick. There's no raising of the dead. But on every page and on every verse, you'll get to see the presence and the power and the providence of a really good God. This is a powerful and intimate life-changing book of the Bible that will speak to those of you that are hurting right now, or maybe those of you who are discouraged. Maybe you've lost hope, and you believe that God has something better for you. If you feel like you're stuck in a place that you know you shouldn't be, this book is going to speak to you. Today, we're going to start at the very start of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth. We're going to look at when it's time to actually walk away. So Ruth chapter 1, and it'll be on the screen behind me if you, have your bio, if you don't have your Bibles. Here's what Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Anytime we read God's Word, remember, it tells us something about God, and it tells us something about ourselves. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Ameliakek. His wife's name was Naomi. And his two names of the sons were Mahalon and Kilion. They were from Bethlehem. And they went to Moab, and they lived there. Now, the interesting thing with this is there were no kings, just judges. Now, in the book of Ruth, if you were looking at a paper Bible, many of us just look at our iPhone Bible, but if we were looking at a paper paper Bible, what comes right before the book of, of Ruth? The book of Judges. And and there's one verse that you're going to see over and over and over again in the book of Judges. It's the very last verse in the book of Judges. It says this in Judges 21, verse 25. In the days 
when the judges ruled, in the days where there was no kings, look at those next few words, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In the days when there were no kings, in the days when the judges ruled, everyone did whatever they felt was right in their own eyes. Man, that sounds a lot like 2023. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, back at Ruth chapter 1. See, we're going to see a family. We're going to get to know a family this morning that was afraid that they might not be able to eat. So they need to do something. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, look back at Ruth chapter 1, together with his wife, his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This man's name was Amalekek. His wife's name was Naomi. The two sons were Mahalon and Kilion. They were from Bethlehem. They went to Moab. They lived there. Well, it's important for us to actually break down the characters before we get too far in this study. Amalekek. He's the husband, the father. His name means, and you're going to see it on the screen behind me, God is king. A pretty cool name. Then we have the wife, the mom, Naomi. Her name is means sweet, pleasant. Then we have the two children. To understand how they would name children in this time, it was basically that they would name their children on two things. Either they would name them prophetically because that's what they wanted to see. We might call them strong or we might call her godly or pure. Or they would name it basically on what they saw right in front of them. They might say ugly feet. In this case, it's very likely they named their children based on what they saw when they were born. There are two names. Remember their two names? Mahalon. Guess what Malion means? Sick or sickly. (laughs) And Kilion, which means frail or tired. So they were probably born and struggled early on. So their names are sick and tired. I'd like you to meet my two kids, sick and tired. <laughs> Some of you are like, I didn't know that was an option. Can I name the cha- name? The, uh, can I change the names of my kids? So here we are. We've got a guy named My God is King. We've got Sweet and Pleasant. And the two kids, tired and sick. Emliak, the father, is worried about his family because of the famine. So he moves his family from Bethlehem to Moab. Let me give you an example of what this would look like. Bethlehem, he'd have to go around the Dead Sea to Moab. It's about a 50-mile journey. So if we walk three miles an hour, it would take us maybe 16 or 17 hours. Maybe that's a long day or maybe it's a couple day journey to get to Bethlehem. So he leaves Bethlehem and he takes his family to Moab and it ends up being a terrible mistake. He moves his family to Moab where God had strictly forbidden his people, God's people, from living there. You may say, well, why did God do that? What's wrong with Moab? Well, the Moabs were descendants of Moab. If you don't know who Moab is, you can read about them this afternoon in Genesis chapter 19. 
There is a story where Lot's daughters got him, their dad, drunk, and they ended up sleeping with their dad and conceived a son named Moab. So the Moabs were people that were conceived out of incense, and that was the beginning of their issues. They worshipped the false god. They named him Chemosh. And they would actually sacrifice their children to this false god. If you ever wonder what the God of Israel thought of Moab, David penned these words in Psalm 60, verse 8. Moab is my wash basin. In other words, this is where I put my dirty feet. So the father, Emlekech, took his family from Bethlehem, which means house of bread, Bethlehem means house of bread, to Moab, to a place that God had forgiven, forbidden them. He goes, and so when you think about it, it becomes really interesting. Remember what the father's name means? God is my king. But he wasn't living like God is my king. Instead, he was doing what we learned about in Judges. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. Now, I don't want to be too hard on the dad because there was famine. He was probably thinking, if I go to Moab, uh, there's going to be a better economy. I can get a better job. I can provide better for my family. We all understand that. But I want to issue you just a gentle spiritual warning that some of you need to hear this morning. I've noticed that when it comes to our families, we're often tempted to prioritize economic provision over spiritual protection. In other words, if someone has a job offer somewhere else and the job offer is for more money, most people would just assume that must be the place to go. Oftentimes it is the place to go, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it is the blessings of God to go and have better provision for your family so that you can be more generous, but sometimes it's not. I've seen so many times people that are thriving spiritually, close to God, plugged into Christian community, plugged into a great church. They go somewhere for a little bit more money. They get somewhere else and they have more money and then they have less God. Be very careful that you don't prioritize economics over the presence of God. So things are a little tough in Bethlehem. So the father and his family leave. They go to Moab, the sinful land of Moab, because times got too tough in Bethlehem. All right, here's the first question. What do you do when times get tough? When times get tough, do you continue to trust and obey God? Staying in Bethlehem? Or do we leave and go to Moab? What do you do when times get tough? Most of us would say, I'm a Christian. Would you say, God is king of my life? I want to trust and obey his word. Maybe you're dating and his word says, we're not going to have sex until we're married. This is reserved for the covenant of marriage. So I'm going to obey God. Then you say, but we've been dating and waiting and I've got this deep desire. I've got my needs. So do you trust and obey God or do you move to Moab? 
My God is the king of my life, and therefore I'll honor him with what I have, and I'll return 10% of what he blesses with me in the form of the tithe that is not mine, but it belongs to him. Money gets tight, and that thing goes on sale, and you want to buy it. Do you trust and obey God, or do you move to Moab? My God is the king of my life. I'm a Christian, and so I'm going to stop getting drunk. I'm, I stop getting drunk, and then I have a really bad day. I'm stressed out. Do I trust and obey God, or do I move to Moab? Because I'll shoot really straight with you. And it's true for me too. When times get tough, Moab sure looks tempting. You guys are being real quiet like you've never seen Moab in your life. Listen, I'm not judging. I understand this father's dilemma. He's worried about his family. So he does what's right in his own eyes. Let's be honest, most of us have actually gone to Moab under far less pressure. My God is king of my life, but sometimes we do what is right in our own eyes. So what happened? They left Bethlehem. They went to Moab. And everything worked out fine. They did what they wanted. They did what they felt. They trusted their heart and they lived their own truth Every, everything worked out just as they had hoped. Scripture says this, go back into Ruth chapter 1. Now Emlekech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. The two sons marry Moabite women, one named Orpah. You might have read. And the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Both Mahalon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. After they had lived there about 10 years, both sick and tired also died. And Naomi, who left Bethlehem so that they would live, was left without her two sons and her husband. That's brutal. Her husband dies. We don't know what happened. Maybe he had a stroke. Maybe he got hit by a camel. We have no clue. What we do know, what we do know, is this left her in a really, really bad place. Who remembers how far apart these two cities were? About 50 miles. About a day's walk. It's not a long walk, yet she stayed there for 10 years. She was away from God's people. Her sons married women that were not God's people. They married Moabite women. Now, I want to give the boys the benefit of the doubt. These girls were probably really cute. They had a great personality. Maybe they even thought, we can convert them. We all know what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 16. We're not supposed to be unequally yoked with those unbelievers. Don't get hung up on the unequally yoked, get hung up on this. Why is God so restrictive? Why is God trying to spoil our fun? He's not trying to actually ruin us, is he? God's actually loving us. Here's what's interesting. Why did they leave Bethlehem? They left so they wouldn't die. 
What happened when they did what was right in their own eyes? Three out of the four actually died. You could say this is how the chick flick starts. We have three widows with no homes, no money, no hope. And finally, Naomi, the mother, decides to return to Bethlehem. Along the way, they have this conversation. They have this conversation and Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, go back to your home. Marry your own people. Have babies. Orpah does that. She starts this TV show that blows up. It goes crazy. No, okay, that's the wrong one. Orpah goes back and Ruth decides to stay. And she speaks for the very first time in verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, Ruth 1, 16. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. And here's that verse we all can quote at different times. Where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. That's the big wedding cake verse. She declares this fierce loyalty to her mother-in-law. Then, and the most important part of this verse, is not loyalty to a person, but a declaration of dependence on God. I'll no longer worship that idol, Chemosh. Now I'll worship the God of Israel. She makes this declaration, and that is her salvation. What did she do? What happened? Ruth and Naomi, essentially, they did this. They left Moab. They returned to Bethlehem. Friends, in the New Testament, the Bible calls this repentance. You see, re means to turn. Pent is to the highest. To return from the lowest place of Moab to the higher calling of Bethlehem. It's to turn away from where you were and to go back. Now here's what's interesting. In order to turn to Bethlehem, you have to turn your back on Moab. To go where God wants you to be, you have to leave where you are. Here's one of the most important things we're going to learn from the book of Ruth. To get to the right place, you actually have to leave the wrong place. (laughs) To get where God wants you to be, you have to walk away from a place that's not his will. What's amazing is that she made one decision to turn her back on Moab and to go to the God of Bethlehem. This one decision, this one act of repentance, this one choice changed her life. And it changed Naomi's legacy. Friends, it even changed the entire world. Have you ever heard of Bethlehem before? What does Bethlehem mean? It means the house of bread. Jesus, the bread of life, was born in Bethlehem. Some fireworks just went off in your head. I don't want to give away the biggest part of the book. I just cannot tell you. Jesus was a descendant of a a sinful Moabite woman who left Moab and went into Bethlehem. Friends, this is how amazing our God is. 
through a woman who worshipped a false god, we're going to see in the upcoming chapters, and I don't want to give it all away, we're going to see that through one decision, the living water, the bread of life, the prince of peace, the good shepherd, the lord of lords, the king of kings, the alpha and the omega is born. One moment of repentance. One single decision. So what does this mean for you? I'm going to ask you, and I want you to be very open to what the Holy Spirit might show you in the next few minutes. I wonder if there's still a part of your life that is still in Moab. Is there some part of your life that's still living in Moab? Is there some area of your life where you're saying, my God is king and yet you're still doing what's right in your own eyes? Is there some area of your life where you are claiming, yes, I am a follower of Jesus and yet you're following your own truth and not his truth? In the next few minutes, speak to us, God. Show us, God. Convict us, God. Lead us, God. Lead us in the way of everlasting. So the application question for this morning, because we just don't hear the word, but we do the word. My old senior pastor, Jim, said to me, never preach a message without asking, so what? Friends, so what? What one decision could you make What one action could you take that would change the trajectory of your life and your legacy? One decision. What one decision could you make? What one action could you take to leave Moab and return to Bethlehem? Some of you, you could cut up your credit cards. You could change your life. Others of you, you could be the first to apologize. I'm sorry for my part of what I did wrong. Some of you could break up and move out. Some of you could block that person from your phone or you could stop following the one that's bringing you down. Some of you, you could confess your addiction and ask for help. Some of you could live on way less and give a lot more. Some of you, you could surrender something to God. Others of you, you could surrender someone to God. There are many of you, you could fall on your knees in broken repentance and surrender to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, to get to the right place, you got to leave the wrong place. It's all about the re. Over 1,100 times in the Bible, the word shove Shuv is used. Shuv means to return. Over 1,100 times, it's about the re. Years ago, I did a study on the word that, of the, all the words in the Bible that started with R-E. Just looked at the R-E words and I wrote a sentence about all of them. And it goes like this. It's all about the R-E. You just return to God. You leave Moab, you return to Bethlehem. It goes like this. It's all about the R-E. When you rebuke the enemy and return to God by repenting of your sins and receiving Jesus, your spirit is reborn. Your mind is renewed. Your life is rebuilt. And you'll be reconciled by Christ's redeeming work.
Well, you rejoice, you'll reap the rewards of relationship, causing revival to break forth in your life. Friends, we're not praying for revival. We're living in the middle of when God is here and God is working. His grace is ready for you. Leave where you've been and go to where he wants you to be. One decision, one moment, one choice can change the trajectory of your life. Let me pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your most powerful name. Amen. Amen.